द लॉ स्कूल ऑफ अमेरिका Public policy doctrines for the exclusion of relevant evidence in the law of evidence in the United States encompass several types of evidence that would be relevant to prove facts at issue in a legal proceeding but which are nonetheless excluded because of public policy concerns. There are five major areas of exclusion that arise out of the Federal Rules of Evidence (FRE), subsequent remedial measures, ownership of liability insurance, offers to plead guilty to a crime, offers to settle a claim, and offers to pay medical expenses many states have modified versions of the fre under their own state evidence codes which widen or narrow the public policy exclusions in state courts the exclusionary rule under which evidence gathered by the police from an illegal search is excluded is of similar operation but is typically considered separately subsequent remedial measures a subsequent remedial measure is an improvement repair or safety measure made after an injury has occurred FRE 407 prohibits the admission of evidence of subsequent remedial measures to show defendants 1 negligence 2 culpable conduct 3 a defect in defendant's product 4 defect in the design of defendant's product or 5 the need for a warning or instruction evidence of subsequent remedial measures are generally inadmissible for two reasons first courts do not want to discourage defendants from taking steps that further safety second Excluding subsequent remedial measures from evidence avoids having to give juries the difficult task of distinguishing between defendants to care prior to plaintiff's injury and defendants to care subsequent to plaintiff's injury. Subsequent remedial measures are, however, admissible into evidence for 1. witness impeachment purposes, 2. proving defendant's ownership of the instrumentality that injured the plaintiff if ownership is disputed, 3. proving defendant's control of the instrumentality that injured the plaintiff if control is disputed 4 proving the feasibility of undertaking precautionary measures if feasibility is disputed example in a slip and fall claim where plaintiff falls on the wooden steps leading into a building defendant decides as the ambulance is taking plaintiff to the hospital to quickly sand down the stairs where plaintiff injured herself FRE 407 prohibits the plaintiff from introducing evidence of this subsequent remedial measure to prove that the steps were hazardous at the time of her injury. If the defendant says that he did not own the building where the plaintiff fell and plaintiff disputes this claim, plaintiff may introduce evidence that the defendant sanded the stairs to show that defendant did, in fact, own the property on which the steps are located at the time her injury occurred. If the defendant claims that there was nothing he could have done to make the steps safer at the time of plaintiff's slip and fall and plaintiff disputes this allegation, plaintiff may introduce evidence of the subsequent remedial measure to prove that undertaking precautionary measures was, in fact, feasible. Note that in California, California Evidence Code, SEC, section 1151 designates as inadmissible evidence of subsequent remedial measures only if it is being offered to prove 1 negligence or 2 culpable conduct California state courts therefore have abandoned the exclusion of evidence of subsequent remedial measures when being used to prove defects in defendant's product or design of defendant's product or to prove that there was a need for a warning or instruction ownership of liability insurance evidence of a party's ownership of or lack of ownership of liability insurance is inadmissible to prove 1 negligence or 2 wrongful conduct because courts do not want to discourage parties from carrying such insurance FRE 411 states evidence that a person was or was not insured against liability is not admissible upon the issue whether the person acted negligently or otherwise wrongfully 
This rule does not require the exclusion of evidence of insurance against liability when offered for another purpose, such as proof of agency, ownership, or control, or bias or prejudice of a witness. The rule spells out four exceptions to the rule of inadmissibility, evidence of a party's ownership of liability insurance, or of a party's failure to own liability insurance, is admissible to prove, 1. A witness bias or prejudice, for example, for witness impeachment, 2. Agency, 3. Ownership, and, 4. Control. 1. If the owner of the insurance policy disputes ownership or control of the property, for instance, evidence of liability insurance can be introduced to show that it is likely that the owner of the policy probably does own or control the property. 2. If a witness has an interest in the policy that gives the witness a motive or bias with respect to specific testimony, the existence of the policy can be introduced to show this motive or bias. Federal Rules of Civil Procedure Rule 26 was amended in 1993 to require that any insurance policy that may pay or may reimburse be made available for photocopying by the opposing litigants, although the policies are not normally information given to the jury. Federal Rules of Appellate Procedure Rule 46 says that an appeal can be dismissed or affirmed if counsel does not update their notice of appearance to acknowledge insurance. The Cornell University Legal Institute website includes congressional notes. Additionally, an exception arises where the party's mention of its own liability insurance is inextricably intertwined with another statement that is admissible. For example, if after an automobile accident, the driver of one car runs over to the other and says don't worry, my insurance will pay to fix the damage I caused to your car, the entire statement is admissible not to show that the driver is insured, but that the driver has admitted fault. Note that in California, California Evidence Code, SEC, Section 1155 provides that evidence of a party's whole or part ownership of liability insurance is inadmissible to prove, 1, negligence or, 2, other wrongdoing. The statute does not include total lack of ownership of liability insurance, which may thus be used to prove that defendant did not exercise due care. Offers to plead guilty to a crime. FRE 410 holds that, 1, withdrawn guilty pleas, 2, nolo contendere pleas, 3, statements made during proceedings regarding guilty pleas, 4, statements made during proceedings regarding nolo contendere pleas, 5, and statements made during plea discussions with an attorney present are inadmissible for public policy reasons even if they are relevant. The motivation behind excluding such pleas from evidence is to encourage plea bargaining. Two FRE contained exceptions apply to this rule, criminal pleas, plea discussions, and related statements are admissible, I. In any proceeding where another statement made in the course of the same plea or plea discussion has been introduced and the statement ought in fairness be considered contemporaneously with it, or, 2, in a criminal proceeding for perjury or false statement if the statement was made by the defendant under oath, on the record, and in the presence of counsel. Additionally, a criminal defendant may waive inadmissibility protections, rendering criminal pleas, plea discussions, and related statements admissible at trial. It is a common practice for prosecutors drawing up plea deals to include terms requiring the defendant to agree that statements made in the course of plea negotiations may be used to impeach the testimony of the defendant, to protect against the possibility of the defendant later changing her story. Note that if a defendant chooses not to withdraw her guilty plea, this is an admission by a party opponent and may be admitted into evidence in subsequent civil proceedings. Offers to settle a claim Offers to settle a claim, and related statements made during a settlement conference, are generally inadmissible under FRE 408. The primary public policy motivation is to encourage litigants to settle their disputes. 
This rule also recognizes that parties may make settlement offers even where they believe they have no actual liability, in order to avoid the expense of litigation. A 2006 amendment to the rule permits the admission of statements made during settlement discussions between a private party and a regulatory body, when those statements are offered as evidence in a criminal case, subject to FRE 403. The inadmissibility of settlement claims only prohibits the admission of statements, not the admission of facts. Thus, if a party to a settlement conference mentions that she possesses a certain document relevant to the proceedings, the other party may seek to discover that document through legal processes, despite it having first been mentioned in the settlement conference, merely disclosing a document's existence and mentioning it during a settlement conference does not insulate it from being discovered and admitted. Additionally, the public policy exception of excluding relevant evidence arising out of an offer to settle cannot not apply if the evidence sought to be introduced as a claim made in a period before a dispute between the parties arose. Example, Florida-based piano teacher P. gets her expensive, snow-white tile floors polished by North Carolina-based cleaning company C. on March 22. C. mails P. a bill for $100,000 on March 29. P thought that the service would only cost $75,000 and disputes the $100,000 charge. Unable to come to a compromise with P, C brings suit on May 8 in federal court to collect $200,000. FRE 400A does not prohibit P's introduction of the $100,000 March bill into evidence as an admission by C that the total amount disputed cannot exceed $100,000. Offers to pay medical expenses. An offer to pay medical expenses is an offer of this nature made by a party who might potentially be liable for an injury to another is inadmissible despite its relevance. FRE 409 states. Evidence of furnishing or offering or promising to pay medical, hospital, or similar expenses occasioned by an injury is not admissible to prove liability for the injury. Evidence of an offer to pay medical expenses is inadmissible for the public policy rationale that courts do not want to discourage parties responsible for injuring others from paying for the treatment of those injuries. Statements made in connection with offers to pay medical expenses, however, are not excluded by FRE 409. Example, plaintiff P slices her lip on a shard of glass that somehow made its way into a salad prepared in defendant D's restaurant. D later visits P in the hospital puts a bouquet of sunflowers on the table next to the bed where P is sobbing in pain, and exclaims, I'm so sorry about your injury, it was completely my fault. Please don't worry about your expenses for this hospital visit, I'll write you a check for whatever your bills add up to. In a subsequent personal injury suit brought by P against D in federal court, P may introduce D's statement I'm so sorry about your injury, it was completely my fault. As an admission of fault by D. Note that in California, California Evidence Code, SEC, Section 1152A renders both offers to pay medical expenses as well as statements made in negotiation thereof inadmissible to prove liability. In the above example, therefore, a CA court would prohibit P's introduction of not only the please don't worry about your expenses for this hospital visit, I'll write you a check for whatever your bills add up to statement, but also the I'm so sorry about your injury, it was completely my fault statement. Mediation Proceedings, a California-specific rule. California law excludes from evidence and discovery relevant statements made for the purpose of, in the course of, or pursuant to, a mediation or a mediation consultation through California Evidence Code, SEC, Sections 1115-1125, for the public policy purpose of encouraging the resolution of legal conflicts by mediation. Exclusionary Rule the exclusionary rule is another rule under which relevant evidence may be excluded. 
based in part on public policy concerns. It causes evidence gathered by the police from an illegal search to be inadmissible in a criminal case. The exclusion is intended, in part, to discourage law enforcement officials from violating the search subject's constitutional rights against unreasonable search and seizure. However, it is premised as much on the right of the individual accused against such a search as it is on the larger issue of law enforcement behavior. The rule does also reflect on questions of reliability regarding some, but not all, types of evidence that are excluded thereunder. For example, an officer conducting a warrantless search may have more of an opportunity to plant evidence, and a confession coerced out of a party denied access to legal counsel may be false. In legal education and discourse, the exclusionary rule is generally treated as a rule of criminal procedure, rather than a rule of evidence. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Tampering with evidence, or evidence tampering, is an act in which a person alters, conceals, falsifies, or destroys evidence with the intent to interfere with an investigation, usually, by a law enforcement, governmental, or regulatory authority. It is a criminal offense in many jurisdictions. Tampering with evidence is closely related to the legal issue of spoliation of evidence, which is usually the civil law or due process version of the same concept, but may itself be a crime. Tampering with evidence is also closely related to obstruction of justice and perverting the course of justice, and these two kinds of crimes are often charged together. The goal of tampering with evidence is usually to cover up a crime or with intent to injure the accused person. Spoliation Spoliation of evidence is the intentional, reckless, or negligent withholding, hiding, altering, fabricating, or destroying of evidence relevant to a legal proceeding. Spoliation has three possible consequences, in jurisdictions where the, intentional, act is criminal by statute, it may result in fines and incarceration, if convicted in a separate criminal proceeding, for the parties who engaged in the spoliation, in jurisdictions where relevant case law precedent has been established, proceedings possibly altered by spoliation may be interpreted under a spoliation inference, or by other corrective measures, depending on the jurisdiction, in some jurisdictions the act of spoliation can itself be an actionable tort. The spoliation inference is a negative evidentiary inference that a finder of fact can draw from a party's destruction of a document or thing that is relevant to an ongoing or reasonably foreseeable civil or criminal proceeding. The finder of fact can review all evidence uncovered in as strong a light as possible against the spoliator and in favor of the opposing party. However, in U.S. federal courts, updates to the federal rules of civil procedure in 2015 have resulted in significant decline in spoliation sanctions. Theory The theory of the spoliation inference is that when a party destroys evidence, it may be reasonable to infer that the party had consciousness of guilt or other motivation to avoid the evidence. Therefore, the fact finder may conclude that the evidence would have been unfavorable to the spoliator. Some jurisdictions have recognized a spoliation tort action, which allows the victim of destruction of evidence to file a separate tort action against a spoliator. While spoliation of evidence most often shows up in civil cases with allegations that the defendant allowed videos, photos or physical evidence to be destroyed, spoliation is also an issue where a person claims he has been injured by a defective product which he then discarded or lost. In that circumstance, the defendant manufacturer or distributor may move to dismiss the case on the basis of spoliation, instead of just having to rely on the plaintiff's usual burden of proof, the argument being that any testimony of plaintiff's witnesses would not overcome the spoliation inference born of the lost evidentiary value of the missing product itself. Finally, 
Some states have case law or code sections allowing parties to recover civil damages for the act of spoliation itself. Some states only allow it against third parties, where an insurance company allows a car involved in litigation to be crushed for example. Each state handles the issue in their own manner and case law is constantly evolving. Brookshire Brothers Limited v. Aldridge The use of a spoliation inference may be warranted depending on the circumstances, but not all cases of spoliation warrant this serious response by the court. In a 2013 case before the Texas Supreme Court named Brookshire Brothers Limited v. Aldridge, a man named Jerry Aldridge went into one of Brookshire Brothers supermarkets, and after a few minutes in the store, slipped and fell. He went to a doctor approximately 90 minutes later, and returned to the store five days after the accident to complain of back injuries caused by the fall. The supermarket chain security department only kept what it felt was the relevant part of that store's surveillance video consisting of just before, to a few minutes after, Mr. Aldridge slipped and fell. When he first filed suit against Brookshire Brothers without an attorney, Mr. Aldridge was able to get video evidence consisting of the 30 seconds before he slipped and fell, plus the next seven minutes. He attempted to obtain more of the store's video surveillance footage, but was refused. When he hired an attorney, the attorney was also unable to obtain footage from before or after the event, which might have been useful to prove negligence based on how long the spill was on the floor, or on the seriousness of Mr. Aldridge's injury. The store's surveillance system automatically writes over previously recorded video after 30 days, unless saved separately. Brookshire Brothers did not keep any additional footage from before or after the accident. The trial court judge found that the store's refusal to provide the additional video footage constituted spoliation, and gave the jury a spoliation inference instruction. The jury was instructed that they may find the failure by the store to retain, and subsequently provide to the other party, the additional footage may be considered an attempt to hide evidence that Brookshire Brothers management knew would be damaging to their case. The jury returned a verdict for Mr. Aldridge in excess of $1 million. The Texas 12th District Court of Appeals upheld the verdict in the spoliation inference instruction. The Texas Supreme Court reversed, ordering a new trial, stating that it was abuse of discretion by the trial court to issue a spoliation inference instruction in this case, that the court should have imposed a different corrective measure on Brookshire Brothers, a less severe sanction, and that a spoliation inference instruction to the jury is only warranted in egregious cases of destruction of relevant evidence. By law enforcement. When police confiscate, secret or destroy a citizen's photographs or recordings of officers' misconduct, the police's act of destroying the evidence may be prosecuted as an act of evidence tampering, if the recordings being destroyed are potential evidence in a criminal or regulatory investigation of the officers themselves. In a notable case in Nebraska, officers were charged with the felony charge of evidence tampering, as well as misdemeanor obstruction and theft, when they committed brutality and forcibly stole and destroyed the recordings which was exposed due to a third party's recording. On the other hand, when police departments lose exonerating evidence that would create reasonable doubt for defendants in the cases they prosecute, such as dashboard camera footage from patrol cars, it may be regarded as spoliation of evidence, potentially justifying motions to dismiss and or mistrials. Police's loss of evidence such as footage may be considered as both spoliation and tampering, if it both exonerates the defendant and proves police misconduct. An act of ruining or destroying evidence may sometimes be considered both spoliation of evidence and tampering with evidence. For example, 
when police destroy their own dashboard camera footage or seize and destroy a citizen's video footage of an incident, it may constitute spoliation of evidence in a criminal case against the defendant if the footage tended to create reasonable doubt for the defendant, and also constitute tampering if the video were evidence of police misconduct in a criminal or regulatory investigation of the police's actions. The goal of spoliating or tampering with evidence is usually to cover up evidence that would be disfavorable to the doer in some way. Moreover, Tampering with an or spoliation of exonerating evidence in criminal cases may also constitute prosecutorial misconduct if the prosecutor is complicit in doing so. Spoliation of evidence is often important in e-discovery matters, as oftentimes records in electronic form such as SMS messages may be difficult to retrieve, preserve, or monitor. Companies and organizations often attempt to avoid spoliation of evidence, or being accused or held liable therewith, by using a legal hold. Often. The legal departments of the company or organization will issue a prescribed order to the relevant employees to retain and preserve their discoverable materials, such as emails and documents. Materiality is the significance of facts to the matter at hand. In the law of evidence, an item of evidence is said to be material if it has some logical connection to a fact of consequence to the outcome of a case. Materiality, along with probative value, is one of two characteristics that make a given item of evidence relevant. This largely depends on the elements of the cause of action the plaintiff seeks to prove, or that the prosecutor must prove in a criminal case to secure a conviction. Which issues must be factually proven are therefore a product of the underlying substantive law. In Corporate and Securities Law Within the context of corporate and securities law in the United States, a fact is defined as material if there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable shareholder would consider it important in deciding how to vote their shares or invest their money. In this regard, it is similar to the accounting term of the same name. Materiality is particularly important in the context of securities law, because under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, a company can be held civilly or criminally liable for false, misleading, or omitted statements of fact in proxy statements and other documents, if the fact in question is found by the court to have been material pursuant to Rule 10b-5. In Contract Law In the Law of Contracts a material term in a contract is a term or provision that concerns significant issues, such as subject matter, price, quantity, type of work to be done, and terms of payment or performance. In patent law, in United States patent law, information is material to patentability and therefore subject to the duty of disclosure if 1. It establishes, by itself or in combination with other information, a prima facie case of unpatentability of a claim, or 2. It refutes, or is inconsistent with, a position the applicant takes in. I. Opposing an argument of unpatentability relied on by the office, or. 2. Asserting an argument of patentability. In common law, a foundation is sufficient preliminary evidence of the authenticity and relevance for the admission of material evidence in the form of exhibits or testimony of witnesses. Material evidence is important evidence that may serve to determine the outcome of a case. Exhibits include real evidence, illustrative evidence, demonstrative evidence, and documentary evidence. The type of preliminary evidence necessary to lay the proper foundation depends on the form and type of material evidence offered. The lack of foundation is a valid objection that an adverse party may raise during trial. The Law School of America This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. 
The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. Thank you.